Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. A spiritual man that is not practical is no spiritual man at all. You cannot have the New Testament spirituality in a vacuum of your mere belief system. It has to transcend past believing into your lifestyle. The spiritual man according to the New Testament definition and even the example in the Lord Jesus Christ, an example of his apostles. A spiritual man is a practical man. God is not just compartmentalized to a certain day or a certain feast or celebration. God is not just compartmentalized to a certain hour. In the New Testament, God becomes our life. Our, our entire day is in God. Our entire week is in God. And God is practical through us. A spiritual man is a practical man. And God wants to deal with his children, his sons and his daughters, to such an extent that the fallen aspects of their being come under his sanctifying power, where it is transformed into glorious, uh, gracious, Christ-like characteristics. And this is the work of God. And to facilitate that transformative work, the Spirit of God wants to get practical with us. Paul would say to the Thessalonian believers in chapter 4, verse 3, he said that it's the will of God that they be sanctified. That is, it is the will of God that the issues of the entirety of your being be dealt with. Why? So that you can visibly exemplary live the Lord's testimony in this earth. A spiritual man is a practical man, and he has come under the dealings of God. He has come under the sanctifying Spirit of God. Again, Paul would say to the uh, Thessalonian believers, the God of peace himself is wanting to sanctify you in spirit, in your soul, and in your body. The entirety of your being is up for the sanctifying work of God. God is not content that you're just a believer. God is not content that you said, Amen, that you said, Yes, Lord. Because even the demons, they said that. The book of James says, Even the demons believe and they tremble. So we know that God wants more from us than just believing. God wants a lifestyle from us. And the spiritual man is no spiritual man at all if his living his talking, his walking cannot come under the sanctifying work, the practical work of Almighty God. We are almost, but not quite, two people. An outer man and an inner man. 
Your inner man tends towards the spiritual. Your outer man tends towards the physical. Each has its own strengths and each has its own weaknesses. So your Lord wishes to strengthen the inward man and in some ways to weaken or at least bring into submission the outward man. So how will He change you? God will work in you in two ways. By a cross from without, working inwardly through body and soul, and by His Spirit at the very inmost center of your being, working outwardly through your spirit and your soul. I trust that you see that His cross and His Spirit will converge on your soul. A work that is not passed through your spirit and into your soul is not a work that is of God. There will be times when the Lord will seek to do His desire in you. So He will start with the inward man. But as His Spirit works His way outward, the Spirit will encounter a soul that is already quite occupied with something else. And it is here that not only the Spirit will work in the soul, but the cross will come from without to hew out a place in the soul large enough for the Spirit to find new room. Imagine your inner man and its workings a little something like this. The Spirit has been planted deep within you. And around your spirit is something that is probably a little bit hard. Your human nature or soul. The soul wishes to gain control of the human element. But that thing called the soul seems, by the nature of the fall, to contain something in it that is not at all in agreement with this project. The religious part of the soul will acquiesce immediately, or so it seems. Truthfully, from the moment of acquiescence on, the religious part of you will do everything it possibly can to prevent a takeover by the Holy Spirit. That self-portion of the soul will do everything it can to resist the growth of the Spirit within your spirit. The self-nature knows that it is marked for death. If a student of theology were to decide to give his entire life to the study of the cross, never by such means would he lay hold of transformation. Neither theology, and saints now you need to listen. This is the truth here. Neither theology, nor spiritual giftings, nor knowledge, or even scriptural knowledge, is of any real benefit in the destruction of those things within us that must be destroyed. At some point, you and the Lord have to get down to practical business. There must be lostness. There must be pain. There must be hurt. There must even be tears. And on our part, there probably must even be confusion, discouragement, tests, trials, hopelessness, and perhaps the sense that the Lord no longer loves us. The cross 
is primarily an experiential thing. All the discussion in the world concerning it can never describe what nailing to it is really like. A writing that I found so intriguing that I had to highlight the latter portion there. The cross is primarily an experiential thing. And with that word cross, I want to say the Holy Spirit is primarily an experiential thing. The divine life is primarily an experiential thing. Father God is primarily an experiential thing, if we can say even such words. Fellowship is primarily an experiential thing. Light, knowledge, divine revelation is an experiential thing. And last but not least, the Lord's dealings. The Lord working within you. The Lord confronting you from without. And it all happening here within your soul that doesn't like the cross from without or the spirit from within. Your soul that is so occupied with itself has its own inflated ideas, has its own opinions, has its own conjectures and philosophies and experiences and its own wisdom. The soul that is tied to its own religion and culture and opinions. When the spirit from within wants to pass through that soul, the soul says, no, don't touch my opinion. And when the Lord arranges circumstances to crucify you and nail you and even cut aspects of your being, we reject that. Oh, I don't want that cross in my life. What God is doing is an experience in your life. Done with a theory. Done with a magnet, Bible verse, sticker on the back of my car. God wants you in on the action. God is the most practical person in the universe. And in this issue of sanctification, how will you be sanctified? By the Lord's working through reality. So, as long as you're on this planet, as long as you walk with two feet the course of this life, God's going to be practical with you. Not all philosophical and esoterical. God's going to make things hot for you. God's going to make things cold for you. In time, a lot of folk will like you. In time, some folk will absolutely reject you. And somehow, all the many elements of this world, at one time or another, will come against you. And the Spirit will come from within you. And there will be a huge conflict within, in the realm of the self. See, God wants to be practical. So this author in a book also says, Rose petals falling on a rock has never made it a precious stone. God doesn't want to sprinkle pixie dust over you, rose petals out of heaven, and poof, all of a sudden you turn into a diamond, a precious stone. How is a precious stone made? By throwing rose petals on it? Or sticking that thing in the heart of the earth 
and putting pressure on it and heat on it and burning every single element out of that coal until pure diamond is left. Until that coal is literally transformed into a precious stone. So you and I have this very romantic idea of God. I've got a Bible, you know, a chapter a day keeps the devil away. You give a little money here, you go to the mission trip there, and you, you help Aunt Susie across the road and you take a little grocery. But on the inside, I stay the same. And we live in this idea that God just needs to make circumstances so smooth for us and just open up the Red Sea for us every single day and just sprinkle a little Bible promise on me and sprinkle a little God idea and a little Jesus story and boom, all of a sudden I'm transformed. Saints, it doesn't happen that way. So God wants to get off of the drawing board Get out of your deep freeze. And God wants to get practical with you and change your character. Change your constitution. Get down to business. But of course, most of us, when God confronts us in that arena, we, uh, we reject God or we blame the devil. We never fully accept the Lord's transforming work in us. If God begins to work His wisdom and will into you, sooner or later, your thoughts have to begin to take on the thought of Christ. So how are we doing in our thought life? Are you thinking more along the lines of light and love and kingdom and salvation and eternity? Are you thinking still in the self, the ego, the me, the ambition and the vainglorious pursuit of life? If you're more leaning into God, you appreciate God more, your faith is stronger, then that means sanctification has begun to work in you and taken a hold of you and it's practical. This is not just a theoretical issue that we're addressing. You know, initially we lusted and we craved and we desired and we had no self-control. But as we're walking with God, things are like water off a duck's back. It doesn't influence me as much. It, it's not, it doesn't grab my attention so much. I drive and I see that billboard flashing and I look, whoa, what is that? Now I drive, I see it, but I don't even see it. It's as though things are leaking out of me. Things are draining out of me. It's like the Lord is gaining more of me and I see more through the mind of Christ. I feel more through the emotion of Jesus. Occasionally I still blow a gasket and I'm more in the self, but... As we're under the spirit of sanctification, as we're under the Lord who is sanctifier, as we're under His will, what's the fruit? The fruit is the Holy Spirit. The fruit is the character of God. The fruit is the anointing. The fruit is power. The fruit is self-control. Um, the fruit is holiness. Sooner or later, you have to have some practical evidence that God has been at work within you. Or, 
are we going to be like many? We just look back, you know, 10 years ago, I accepted Jesus. Yeah, but do you still think the same? Do you still crave and pursue the same? Then we would say, ah, you've not partnered in the sanctification process. You just had a salvation experience, but you don't have a sanctification experience. So saints, God wants to be practical with you and I. I do not believe he always wants to be a note in paper or ink in a book or a sketch on a drawing board. So this is the, the heartbeat of the ministry now is that we're not just reading anymore to get insight. We're not just walking with God because we get a ticket for one day, glory land. No, right now I'm a vessel. I'm being exchanged. The ugly, sinful, contaminated me is being done away with. And the divine God, mind, emotion of God is marrying my mind, my will, emotions. And so there's a union taking place in me. I'm being built up into the image of God. I'm walking more in holiness. I blow it occasionally, but it's so easy to confess. I have no illusion that I'm a perfect man, but I'm in the race I partner with God. I'm more in the character and in the fruit and in the gifts of the Spirit. I'm more available to the Lord. Yes, I'm a doctor. Yes, I'm a teacher. But I'm more for the Lord's purposes. I don't view things anymore just circumstantially. I view them divine. And if I sense the satanic in it, I speak to it and into it in the name of Christ. I stand my ground on the work of the cross. I accept no curses in my life. Um, Hatred is gone. Love has been replaced. You know, I'm, I'm more in the spirit than in the flesh. And when I do walk in the flesh, the spirit just hammers me. And how do you know you've come into maturity? Well, the turnaround time it takes for you to repent. That means God is now practical with me. He has an expression through me. He has a testimony through me. He has an image, finally, through me. Yes, he's still sanding a little bit smoothing a little bit. If you're me, he's still working with a chainsaw to cut huge pieces off. But more and more, I'm beginning to talk like Jesus, think like Jesus. And I don't even have to try to like conjure up all the time, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? It's just beginning to be a spontaneous, almost impulsive, organic lifestyle. It's awesome. As we're in this process and God is practically dealing with us, what causes me to backslide is I neglect the Word. So saints, I want to encourage you as you move on with God, stay in the Word for feeding, for clothing, for revelation, for washing, anything and everything that you need for spiritual understanding, you need to get from the Word because you're not going to get it from your circumstance. And as the Lord gets practical with you, dig into the spiritual. It will shed light on the practical. Number two. As we're in this process of the Lord's dealings and God is very practical and down to earth with us, of course, we neglect the word. But number two, we neglect the regulation of the Holy Spirit. 
we neglect the Word and we neglect the Spirit regulating me. The Lord wants to lead you and anoint you and work in you and flow in you. And what happens is we just drop out of the race. We no longer pay attention to the voice, the speaking, the burden, the leading on the inside. And so we can't be rightly calibrated during the Lord's practical dealings with us. So we get offended, we misunderstand. You've got to stay in the Word, you've got to stay in the Spirit to properly navigate all these practical things God is doing in you. Number three, we many times drop out of the race. We don't endure. We don't understand what God is doing because we have a haphazard consecration. A haphazard consecration. And it's due to an unyielding will. When the will is bent on its own desires and ways, it acts as a blockage against the sanctifying process. So while an initial consecration of the will starts a person on the Christian journey, a continual surrender of the will is what keeps a person in the flow and regulation of the life-giving spirit. When the flow of the spirit stops within a believer, the sanctification process is halted, hindered, and even frustrated. We neglect the word so we can't spiritually discern what goes on. We stop being regulated by the Spirit, so we begin to blame everybody. We, we don't see what God is doing in a circumstance and how the Lord is dealing with us. And furthermore, we lose our consecration before God. So the Lord can't work in me and set me apart. We just we go back to the world and to the affairs of the world and we, we drop out of the race. We drop out of sanctification because you're not for the Lord anymore in your will, in your emotions. So yeah, we lose the Word of God. We lose the regulation of the Spirit. We lose our consecration. But the biggest mistake we all make as we live practically here on this earth is that we do not have a proper grasp of God's intentions. This is really the fruit of neglecting God's Word, neglecting a life in the Spirit, neglecting to constantly give yourself to God and for His purposes and constantly accept the Lord's dealings. What's going to happen to you is you're going to begin to misinterpret God's intentions. And you're no longer going to see the things that are happening to you practically as God sanctifying you. You're going to begin to see it as devilish. You're going to rebuke it. You're going to turn around to people behind you and say, get behind me. Stuff like that. You just miss God's heart. You miss His intentions. And when we begin to miss God's intention, that's when you blame people. That's when you get mad. That's when you get frustrated and aggravated and confused. So saints, as God is practical with you, 
I want to encourage you, stay in the Word. You'll interpret God best through the Word. As God gets practical with you, stay under the Spirit. Stay in the Holy Spirit. As God gets practical with you, stay giving yourselves away. Stay consecrated to the Lord. And you'll see, you will begin to understand in wisdom what is happening around you. You'll be able to understand the signs of the times. You'll practically discern God is addressing this issue in me, that issue. So how do you respond to the Lord working in you? I, uh, I give you three ideas here. Number one, present your bodies to the Lord. Present your bodies. That comes from uh, Romans chapter 6. Allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify you. Present your body as a vehicle. Present it to the Lord. That is, consecrate yourself to God. Lord, you're welcome to work in me through grandma, through the dog. You're welcome to work in me through circumstances. Lord, I accept it. I present myself to you. Number two, pursue the sanctification process to see God. There's a verse there in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, Without sanctification, no one will see God. So I would say to you then, present your body and pursue it. Pursue it. Pursue the Lord's sanctifying work. Constantly pray, Lord, you're welcome to deal with me. Lord, search me and know my heart. Lord, see if there's a wicked way within me. Lord, I'm sorry that I did that the other day, that I said this, that I meant that. Lord, my motives were off. Lord, I didn't obey my conscience. When you begin to pursue sanctification, oh man, you come to number three. You become a partner with God's process of sanctification. There's so much that can still be said about the sanctification process God employs to perfect and grow and transform His sons and His daughters. But I want to leave you with three portions of Scripture that hints at something sanctification will do for you. Listen carefully to Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Paul is giving a charge to the Ephesian elders of that city. And he says, I now commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who have been sanctified. He says here, the word of God's grace is building you up. And it's sanctifying you. But sanctification is not the end. It's as though sanctification gives you an inheritance. There's something yet to come. So the process we're currently going through, this building up from within and even this crucifixion from without, this transformative work of the Holy Spirit in us today, there is a kind of an inheritance waiting for those who have been sanctified. Paul uses a similar thought in Acts 26, verse 18, 
And he is speaking to King Agrippa and um, he's testifying of his own encounter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light. This is obviously the power of the gospel. To turn them from darkness to light and from the authority of Satan to the authority of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Just a marvelous verse unpacking the power of Jesus Christ. And he highlights here an interesting thought. He says, not only does the gospel cause us to be forgiven of our sins, but there's a kind of an inheritance awaiting those who have been sanctified. Which then brings me to this question, what is that inheritance? What? What's in front of us? Obviously, God is taking us through a process right now. and uh, But the process is towards a certain goal. What could this inheritance be? Obviously, my sanctification right now is not in a vacuum. It's not an isolated event. It's, it's almost preparatory for something. Why is God dealing with his people? Why is God getting down to the bedrock of issues in my life? Why is God building me up from within and in a way causing me to be diminished without? Why is God doing this transformative work? The book of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 may hint at this. The writer says, Pursue peace with all men and sanctification. As much as we pursue peace with all men, the author says, pursue also sanctification, without which no one will see the Lord. And there's the answer. Why is God dealing with me now? It's to give me an inheritance. But what is that inheritance? What is awaiting those who've been sanctified? Another way we may say this is, why did God give me the Holy Spirit, a foretaste of the things to come? It's as though the Holy Spirit is a pledge of something more to come. Paul writes about that also. Why did God baptize and fill and endow me with the Spirit of God? And why is the Spirit of God doing this transformative work within me? It's to give me an inheritance. And what is that inheritance? I tell you, it's the desire of every man and woman that has ever lived. And it's the ache. It's the burden. It's the longing to see God. The Bible says that no man has ever seen God. Moses came very close, but... He was only allowed to see the back side of God. It's a very mystical encounter there in the book of Exodus. But it's the ache of every man. Lord, show me your face. God, I want to see you. Why is God taking you through a crucible? Why is God using time and process and people in your life? 
It's to sanctify you. Why did God give you the Holy Spirit? It's to build you up. Why? To give you perhaps the greatest inheritance of all time. And it's the face of God. That is what awaits us. I know many of us as Christians, we're thinking our greatest inheritance is heaven. We're thinking that we're going to go to a place and it's just going to be utopic. But I want to tell you that that's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is to see God. And God's longing is for you to see Him. And He has employed a process called sanctification. And He's working in you. And in time, you and I, the sons and daughters of God, we're going to see our Father.